Well, I'm excited to know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's what the Bible says about him. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That gives us hope. That gives us hope in a time in a world where there's not much hope out there. You know, it's amazing how hurting people are today. There are so many hurting people out around and through the world and in the church. But I have good news for you. Jesus is the answer to our pain and our suffering and our hurt. Jesus is the answer to, to our future. Is he not? He absolutely is. Let's begin with the Lord's Prayer. We'll just go ahead and, there we go, okay. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen, of course, means so be it. So be it. I like this, the Lord's Prayer. There's so much in it. I, did a, I wrote a little blog thing on it of, oh, some months back. There's so much in this prayer. One of the things it says is that, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do you know that's our prayer and our desire is for God's kingdom to come on earth and to be manifest on earth? There's a partial Partial manifestation of God's kingdom through this, his church, the body of Christ, international, throughout the world. But there is a day coming when his kingdom will be fully manifested, fully, fully established here on earth. And that's what we're praying for, isn't it? It's pretty bad out there. It's getting worse. But thanks be to Christ Jesus, he has overcome all of the world. He's overcome the temptations of the world. We can have a life. We can have a life that's not dependent upon what goes on in our world and the realm around us. We can have a life and live our life and based on his kingdom. Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That's good news to me. Is it to you? It is. Good. Wonderful. Well, this is, of course, Palm Sunday, and I'd like us to turn to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to read some of the scripture in regards to Palm Sunday. I was just reading a little tribute to Billy Graham by someone, and the man was a young pastor at the time, or church leader of some sort, and he ran into Billy Graham, was in an elevator or someplace of that sort, just a brief encounter with him, and he said to him, he asked him, what advice can you give us, especially us younger, younger ministers? And Billy Graham had his Bible tucked under his arm, and he pulled out his Bible and he said, stay in the book, stay in the book. And today we have lots and lots of people that are not in the book, they've wandered from the book. And that, I guess, is nothing new, it's been happening for the last 2,000 years in Christianity, but just an encouragement for us to stay. If we believe this book is inspired by God, how much more should we be valuing it and heeding what it says? We've been looking at the, the book of Revelation in our Wednesday night discipleship class, 
in Jesus' words to the seven churches. And we're learning a lot from that, aren't we? Those that are in the class, and you're all invited uh, 6 o'clock on Wednesday nights. But we're learning a lot that Jesus had a lot of things to say to the churches in those days. Some things were things he had to tell them that they needed to change and to change quickly. And some things he commended them for. But here we are, Palm Sunday. Let's look at the scripture in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. I'm actually going to read it out of my New International Version. Okay. Oh, here we go, right in front of my, right in front of me. 28, and Jesus, and after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. A colt's a young male. Those, those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? It's a good question when, you own the, when you're an owner, isn't it? They replied, The Lord needs it. They, threw it. they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. I think it's interesting. There's a colt, unbroken colt. No one's ever ridden it before. And Jesus gets on it. Doesn't buck. It doesn't cause a fuss. Jesus gets on the colt. And they put their cloaks upon it and upon the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. If you're not familiar with the Pharisees, that was the, one of the ruling uh, religious uh, parties of the Jews, the Pharisees. And the other were the Sadducees, the primary parties. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Wow. What is he saying? If people, won't, if people don't praise me, all creation will. We find that in the Psalms, don't we? All creation praises his name. And so there we have this triumphal entry that Jesus goes into the gates, through the gates of, into Jerusalem, and he is the triumphant one. It's interesting to note, though, as he goes into the gates of Jerusalem, he's not riding on a horse. He's not riding as a conquering general. But the people look at him in that way, in some respect. They're excited because this is the one who's going to, this is the Messiah, the Christ. Christ, Messiah, means the anointed one. Greek is the, Christ is the Greek term for that. Messiah is the, the Hebrew, and so it means the anointed one, the one that God has poured his anointing on. And so as he enters into the city gates, riding on a colt, on a donkey colt, that's a very humble way of coming into a city as a king. Would it not be? 
And those there, therefore, the people are shouting out, believing that he is the one who's going to deliver them from the Roman oppression. The Romans had been oppressing the, the, the Israelites for a number of years now, and they didn't like the Romans there. Who would? It was a, so they, they were looking at Jesus. This part of the crowd was looking at Jesus as the one who is going to deliver us, as prophesied, from the Romans. But there's a problem. Jesus didn't come to, deli- to liberate them from the Romans. Jesus came to liberate them from sin. Jesus came to liberate people from sin. The day will come, the day will come when the oppression of other people and other men and other nations will come about and will come about and has come about for Israel, but at that time it wasn't what they were expecting. So they were looking for this conqueror to come. I'd like to read from a magazine here. It says some comments about this. The people of Jerusalem were ecstatic when they thought Jesus had arrived to loose them from the bonds of Roman oppression. However, when it became clear that the Jewish leaders were not impressed with Christ and that the freedom he offered was spiritual rather than political and temporal, their me-first mentality prompted them to appease those who wanted him crucified. As we read on further on, and perhaps next week we'll get into that, perhaps this week, I'm not sure, but we, we will see on what we would call Good Friday, or leading up to Good Friday, when Jesus was before a crowd, he was in Pilate's hands, Pilate was the Roman governor, Pilate wanted to release Jesus, and he offered to release him as one of their prisoners, an ex- prisoner exchange, kind of a tradition that they had going. And when the people saw Jesus... They didn't cry out Hosanna this time. What did they cry out? Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. How can that be? In just a few short days, they've gone from Hosanna, which means save us, and much more, to crucify him. Crucify him. How can people be so fickle? You ever wonder? People can be very fickle. Very easily swayed, very easily led. In this term, in this case, when they found out the Jewish leaders wanted to get rid of Jesus, it was the Jewish leaders. And I'm not anything anti-Semitic here. That's just historical fact. I'm very, we're very pro-Israel. We have a flag of Israel in our back, in the back of our church. But just to say, the ruling party of the Jews wanted. Him, ruling parties, him out of the picture. They didn't recognize him as the Messiah. In fact, they rejected him as the Messiah. And they said, crucify him. And they stirred up the people to crucify him. Crucify him. What an amazing flip from one to the other in just a few short days. Time has not changed any much, has it? Churches today can be filled with people praising Christ as their Savior, from poverty, sickness, discomfort, and even from boredom, from anything but sin. For Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to the churches of modern America, human hearts are still bent the same way unless fundamental changes take place. The reality of Christ's mission was best stated by John the Baptist when he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. John 3, 3.30 
Until that issue is settled in each soul by repentance, self remains Lord. And so this is what we're looking at, and we're looking at these different crowds of people, where it's very easy to point judgment and say, well, I would be in the first crowd. I would be in the Hosanna crowd. I sure wouldn't be in the Crucify crowd. Well, 2020 is perfect vision, or hindsight is perfect vision, isn't it? Hindsight is perfect vision. But would we? Where would we be if we were in Jerusalem at that time, with all the influence and all the talk and chatter all about us and all around us, where would be you be? Where would I be? What crowd would you be a part of? Or would you be part of both of those? See, one of the points here is the fact that it's, it's about which, which way benefits me the most. You ever been in a situation like that? Which benefits me the most? And that's what, what, that's what was going on here, the crowds. Which would benefit? It would benefit me greatly if I didn't have these Roman soldiers walking through our streets and, and oppressing us. It would benefit us greatly. Would it? Absolutely. And then the, the Pharisees, it would benefit them greatly to get rid of this thorn on their flesh called Jesus. Let's get rid of this guy. He's upturning. He's turning everything upside down. And you know what? If he keeps going like he's going, the Romans are going to come and say, we got to put this down. we got a rebellion going, down, going on in this country. we got to put this down. we got to get rid of this guy too. We don't want the Romans coming in and getting disturbed. Let's just get rid of this guy. Besides, he offends us greatly. You know, Jesus still offends people. Jesus still, like Cliff was talking about earlier, Jesus still offends people greatly. The real Jesus offends people. Not the politically correct Jesus. Not the New Age Jesus. Not, not the Jesus that people make up. But the real Jesus offends people greatly because he comes with grace and truth. He doesn't just come with grace. He comes with grace and truth. And truth can be very offensive. Today, of course, I've spoken a lot about this in the past, but today it's the question is, whose truth? Your truth? What about my truth? But maybe it's your truth or their truth. It's all relative. There is no truth. Is there? Jesus said, we've got to stay close to the book, don't we? The wisdom of this age is falling away. The philosophers of this age will fall away. We're not to be taken in by the ideology and philosophies and, and all, that, all that sort of thing of this world, the Bible teaches us. In Colossians, it says, we're not to be taken up with those things. But as Billy Graham says, we need to stay close to the book. You see, teachers, philosophers, the politically correct, the politicians, whoever it might be, they're not the ones that are going to judge us. The ones that will stand before, the one we'll stand before is Christ. And to him we will owe an account, not to all these other voices, not to all these other people pulling the crowds this way and pulling the crowds that way and trying to persuade them this way and that way and the lies and deception and the cheating and all the things that go on in this world. We are to stay solid and strong from the book. Why is the book so important? Some people, that's just a book. It's been around a while. It's written by men. 
Well, who else writes books? I've got a dog. She's never, she's never written a book. She can't even read. You know, who else writes books? The book, this book is different than all other books because this book was inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit and given to holy men of old to write down the book, to write down the things of God. That's what's encouraging about this book. That's what's different about this book. Now, to the natural person, it's foolish. That's what the Bible says. Paul the Apostle writes that. That the things of God are foolishness to the carnal man. To the, what is a carnal man? Carnal man is a man, a person, a you know, woman, man, that hasn't been born again. Their heart hasn't been changed. Their heart hasn't been regenerated. You were born in naturally. You were born, given birth by your mother. But there's something missing. You're in a place that I was uh, for, for a number of years. I was in a place where everything that I did and thought had to do with feelings, emotions, the influence of others around. I was like flotsam and jetsam. You know what that is? I just drifted like, like stuff out on the water. Driftwood out on the water. I just drifted. One thought to another thought. One ideology. I was, I was searching some. I was looking in what is, you know, the religion. I was brought up in a church. And, but I didn't know much about God. And so, you know, when you reach that age, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more out there than this, right? Is this all there is, my friends? Let's keep dancing. Bring out the booze, as the old song used to go. But there was more. The ideologies that I looked at were just the influences of people and books and things I'd read. It wasn't until I came to a place where I read a different book. And in that book, the man talked about a real Jesus. And that he was real. And he was real to this man. The man, the man was a skeptic. He was agnostic. And but, but he came to a place where he had an experience with Jesus. And he wrote about it. And when I read about his experience, something happened to me. It's like, you know, the light went on. It's like the Venetian blinds opened. You know the blinds that can be closed. You can see little cracks of light around them. Around them. But when they start to open, it's like, whoa. And I start to realize Jesus is real. He saves, he heals, he delivers people. He's real. He's just as real today as he was 2,000 years ago. And I began to read this book, the book. I began to read the New Testament about Jesus. Someone gave me a copy of the New Testament when I was, I was a UPS driver, and I stopped at a store, a place I always delivered, and had, she had a lady had a pile of them, and she said, would you like one? I said, sure. I took it to my, in my truck, and in my lunch break, I started reading about Jesus, and I thought, I never knew he was like that. I never knew what he was like. I knew all about him. We sang all about him. I heard his name many, many times, used him mostly in bad ways, but I, it brought tears to my eyes when I 
realized what the real Jesus was like. Some of you have been influenced by all kinds of Jesuses, all kinds of impressions that people have given you. I want to tell you, the real Jesus will change your heart. And so that's what happened to me. I began to see he's real, and I prayed a prayer. And when I prayed the prayer, there's nothing magic about the prayer, but I meant it from my heart, and that he came into my life. Something changed. Things you can't always explain with the natural mind. Something changed, and the Spirit of God came into my life and began to change me from the inside out. I was still rough character in some ways, but something began to change in my life. And when I would behave or talk in certain ways, I, I feel kind of a check. Like, oh, you know, I don't need to be that way. I don't need to act that way. I don't need... And it would start. That's what's being called born again. Yeah, I walked in the natural for many years, 23, 24 years, but, and then, then your heart's changed. And when your heart's changed, it's changed. And you know that you know that you know that you know. And then you become what the world, those other people look at and say, he's a fool. Paul the Apostle said, yes, we're fools. We're fools for Christ. John Wimber used to say, church leader, he used to say, I'm a fool for Christ, but whose fool are you? So what part, what crowd are you in? Are you in part of the crowd that's Hosanna, Hosanna? Are you part of the crowd that's crucify him, crucify him? Or are you part of the crowd that's just indifferent? Hey, what well, all pans out, whatever happens at the end, I'm cool with that. Hey, God knows I'm a pretty good person. You know? Yeah, I believe in I believe there's a God. I don't know about this Jesus guy, but I know there's a God. He's probably something to do with it. The Bible says that he is God, that Jesus is God, and that he is the one who died for us. Do you know that no other religion has anyone died for the salvation of mankind? None other. He is the one. He is the one. I'm telling you, he is the one that can give you and I salvation. He is the one who can give us assurance that our life, when our life is over on this world, in this world, in this earth, he is the one who gives us assurance that we can have eternal life. If you're just living for this life, hey, I'm going to live my life out, and then I'm dead like a dog. They can kick me in a hole or barbecue me, whatever they're going to do. But listen, there's more to it. No matter what happens to the body, no matter what happens in life, we have an assurance. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. He is the only one. And that's why as we celebrate this Palm Sunday and this coming Resurrection Day, we celebrate the fact that Jesus loved us and loves us so much that he went to the cross. He went to even death on a cross. He died for us that we could receive him and have eternal life with him. You might think that's going to be boring, but I've got news for you. If you think life in heaven is going to be boring, you are deceived. 
You think life here is a great party, perhaps? It's going to be far beyond anything you can comprehend. The Apostle Paul had an experience. And he had experience where he said, he wrote, I went into the third heaven. I went into heaven of God. And he said, he, he, he was so amazed by it that he couldn't even say it was me. He said, I knew somebody. It was almost like he, I knew someone. He's speaking in the, in the third person. I knew somebody once who went into the third heavens. I saw things I can't, illegal, not illegal, but unlawful for me even to utter. It was so amazing. I can't even tell you what it was like. There were things, perhaps he was told, you're not to share these things. You're not, these things are so beyond. But the things that are going to be in heaven are so beyond anything that you love on this earth. You think the mountains are beautiful. You think the lakes are beautiful. You think you're in love with your spouse. You think you're in love. Listen, in heaven is going to be pure love, not sissified love. Not that ooey-gooey stuff that men don't like, you know. But it's going to be the real love of God. It's going to be a real experience with Him. It's going to be a wonderful place. Heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. There was a time I wasn't too sure I wanted to go there. Oh, I wanted to go there in the future. But the older I get, the more I kind of lean towards that. The more I see the world the way it is, the more I lean towards that desire to be in heaven. However, I know, and we know, that we have a purpose. And God has a purpose for this on earth. So I'm not in, in, in a big, big hurry. So one time I've told this story, but some of you may not have heard it, but Abraham Lincoln was in church one time, and the preacher was preaching up a storm. And Lincoln liked to hear, see preachers. A preacher, he didn't go to church a lot at first, but Lincoln liked preachers that looked like they were swatting bees. He liked some really animated preachers. And he was in this church, and the preacher started preaching about going to heaven. And he says, how many people here want to go to heaven? He said, stand up. And everybody stand up, stood up in the church except for Lincoln. And then later, after the church service, and Lincoln's walking out the door, and he's shaking the preacher's hand, and the preacher said, Mr. Lincoln, he said, may I ask you a question? Most certainly. He said, I asked if people wanted to go to heaven, and everybody, to stand up, and everybody stood up but you. He said, don't you want to go to heaven? And Mr. Lincoln said, yes, sir, I want to go to heaven. Then why didn't you stand up? He says, oh, I thought you were getting a load to go right now. <laughs> so. But the time will come, won't it? The time will come, and we all must be ready and prepared for our journey to that changing from the physical into the new body that God has for us. You know, as we look at this season coming up, I encourage you all, I encourage you all to take some time and read the Bible. Read the New Testament particularly. If you haven't read the Bible, don't start in the beginning like most books. This is a different book. You start in the New Testament and then eventually to the, to the beginning. But read about Jesus. Read about the real Jesus. Get to know the real Jesus. It was the real Jesus. There's a lot of Jesuses out there. The Bible refers to it. There are many, there are many Christs. You know, there are many Jesuses. There's many, but there's only one true Jesus. Men make Jesus into their image. Men make God into their image. But there's only one true God. 
There's only one real Jesus. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this Jesus has died for you and I. And this Jesus wants a relationship with you and I. This Jesus wants us to come to him. It's not automatic. We have a free will. It's a choice. You and I can come to him or we can reject him. And that's what we're at this Sunday. You can come to him and submit to him or you can reject him. That's not going to be a good thing. And I oftentimes think, why would anybody reject Jesus? Why would anybody reject him? Why would anybody? Knowing his goodness, his mercy, his willingness to forgive, his willingness, willingness to receive us. You know, Jesus said in the book of John, he said, if any man comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. What does that mean? I will, if anyone comes to me, I would never reject them. Some of you maybe came this morning thinking that the roof would fall in. The roof is still up. It'll be up next week too. No matter who walks in this church, it'll be up. It's not going to fall down because somebody walked in. Isn't that good news? Let's close in prayer. Father, I asked for your for your convicting power of your spirit to go into each heart and each life, I ask, Father, that each person would come to know you, Lord Jesus, as you desire to be known. For those here that are perhaps agnostics, skeptics, maybe hurt, hurt by the church or hurt by concepts of you that perhaps aren't even accurate, I ask, Lord, that you'll go into their hearts, into their minds, and show them the real Jesus. Show them the love you have. Show them that you can break and are willing to break every sin in their life. You're willing to break every addiction. You're willing to break every attitude, anger, all sorts of harmful behaviors that you can change them. And for those, perhaps, who think that they're pretty good people. Lord, I pray that you would show them there is none good. Only you are good. And that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags to you, Lord, that we need you as a Savior. We lift you up and exalt you this day and ask for your great grace in Christ's name. Amen. And I'm going